G'day humans, welcome to a little bit of extra additional content that I thought I'd provide you with this week. There's clearly an appetite for more on this show, uh, and so occasionally I'm just going to start dipping my toe into uh, rambling, ranting, uh, whimsy, thoughts, random, pastiche, uh, mosaic, jigsaw puzzle of Joseph's mind. See, that was pretty good, I thought. I thought it was an excellent uh, way of describing what we're doing here. Uh, A few stories that have been floating around this week that I found myself interviewing people about on my radio show, my excellent radio show, which I can't believe you don't listen to, or do you? Are you wise? And you do. Congratulations. You're an excellent person for listening to ABC Radio Sydney between 12.30 and 3.30 p.m. of an afternoon, of a weekday afternoon, uh, Sydney time, obviously. be weird, wouldn't it, if my ABC Sydney show operated for some reason on Fijian time? We were like, it's 12.30 to 3.30 on ABC Radio Sydney. Just be aware that we, for some traditional reason I don't quite understand, happen to operate on Fiji time. So adjust your watches uh, beforehand. In fact, it might be simpler if you just always adjust your watches and clocks to Fiji time so you don't miss my show. It will mean that you're several hours late or early uh, to all of your meetings and appointments, but that's a small price to pay, isn't it, for making sure that come 12.30, Fiji time, you in Sydney are always listening uh, to what I have to say. Nonetheless, if you do miss me during the week, uh, here's a little a tidbit of some things that I've been talking about and thinking about throughout the week. Uh, I've got three cracking stories for you. I mean, hot off the press. I'm going to hold them right here in my hot little hand. Uh, story number one, I feel like we need a uh, drum roll. Maybe an announce, announcer, maybe like Alan Calder used to be on uh, the Dave Letterman show, for some of you who are of a certain age. Letter number three, story number one, Taylor Swift. You didn't think I was going to go there, did you? You thought I was going to talk about something very uh, fancy and important and intellectual. Well, maybe this could be fancy and important and intellectual because Taylor Swift has responded to her fan pushback to the outrage. Uh, from her community, or maybe not so much from her community, but from people who like to get outraged about things like this, over a fat-phobic scene in her new music video, uh, in her music video for, uh, for Antihero, she, there's a scene where she steps on scales and it shows her weight, and then she's singing about her eating disorder about the fact that she has struggled with anorexia in the past instead of showing a numerical weight the scale just pings up and it says fat and she sings the line i stare directly at the sun but never in the mirror and she looks over to a kind of doppelganger of herself who's like artificially beautiful and it's about her clearly obviously her own struggles with her own body image well well you are not allowed to imply that there is anything wrong with being fat. Being fat is wonderful. Fat is beautiful. We all know that. Tay Swee, as I call her. Tay Swee, Taylor Swift, Tay Swee. T-S. So um, she wrote and directed that music video. She tweeted in her own defense that it represents her own nightmare scenarios and intrusive thoughts. It's not meant to be an objective critique of fat people. She's an artist. She's reflecting what's going on in her own head. She's communicating that. She's wrestling with her own internal demons, not external ones. 
She doesn't have a scene in which she's pointing at fat people and like wiping her brow and going, whoa, thank goodness I'm not them. No, she's talking about her own self and her self-image. Nonetheless, the pushback was swift. The pushback was severe. Fat people don't need to have it reiterated yet again, wrote Shira Rosenbluth, a social worker with a specialization in eating disorder treatment on Twitter. Fat people don't need to have it reiterated yet again that it's everyone's worst nightmare to look like us, said Shira. Having an eating disorder doesn't excuse fat phobia. Then everyone started piling on. She's being fat phobic. She is, she has the blood of fat people on her hands. And it can be a lot of blood. I don't know if you've ever tried slaughtering a fat person, but it is messy. I'll tell you from personal experience. And uh, so Taysui has decided to be a good Gen Zer, or is she a millennial? She's one of those. Um, and uh, she's gone and she's, cha- she's changed the scene. She's altered her creative output. She has, yes, cancelled, should we say, that part of her soul, that, that, that found expression in that, the part that was exposing its own vulnerability about her own body image, her own struggles with her, uh, with the unreasonable expectations that society and the patriarchy and the male gaze might be putting on her. She's cancelled that uh, and has instead re-released it without the bathroom scales pinging up to fat. Is it fat phobic to be honest about the fact that you don't want to be fat? Is it fat phobic to reveal your own difficulty in achieving the weight and the body image that you want? I mean, do the protesters want us to pretend to live in a world in which we don't struggle, in, in which the idea that fat is worse than slim is not just a misconception that we should all regard as a misconception, but is actually a fear that doesn't even exist. So, like, it would be one thing to say, it would be one thing if Taylor Swift was saying, I don't want to be fat, and it's a good thing that I don't want to be fat, and I'm right to not want to be fat, and that it's a core part of my personality that I'm comfortable with, that I'm not fat. But that's not what she's saying. She's an artist. She's a creative artist. She's exposing herself. She's wrestling with the things in her own life, in her own mind, in her own psyche, in her own bones that are motivating her in certain ways. And she's clearly doing this in the context of saying, isn't it fucked up and perverted that even I, who many people regard as being beautiful, still wrestle with the demons of body image? She's exposing that vulnerability about herself. She's not passing judgment on whether or not that pathology that she's suffering from is a good thing. In fact, the whole context of the song makes it seem that it's not a good thing, that anorexia is a bad thing. Of course, she doesn't She she doesn't want to be anorexic. She hasn't wanted to have eating disorders. She doesn't want to fear fatness the way that she does. But merely expressing the battle that she's having internally is being regarded as fat shaming or being fat phobic. Now, this is all quite separate and apart from the question of whether or not fat phobia is actually an evil thing. 
I mean, it's evil to shame people. It's evil to laugh at people. It's evil to be mean to people. But is it evil to say that all other variables being equal, you'd be better off not being obese? I mean, is that now something that we have to pretend is not true? I mean, I literally hear people saying that we do have to pretend that that's not true and that I'm being fat phobic for even calling it a pretense. That you can be just as healthy. Look, you can be obese and healthy. You can be skinny and unhealthy. You can look skinny, but actually you've got an eating disorder and you smoke two packs of cigarettes a day and you don't get a proper diet. Whereas there might be another person who's larger, who goes jogging along, bouncing along, and they're wobbling their way to great heart health. And that's true. That's absolutely true. But when you're talking about averages and when you're talking about variables, the variable of weight, all other things being equal, is something that you need to keep an eye on. In males, if you have a waist circumference of more than 100 centimeters, your risk of heart disease, stroke, dementia, cancer, they all go up a lot. Obesity is a killer. In fact, it's probably the biggest killer in the United States at the moment when you look at the impact that it has on all of the other underlying reasons why people die, all of those chronic diseases that people get as they waddle around eating fast food. To say that there are fat people who are healthy and skinny people who are unhealthy is a bit like saying that there are smokers who are healthy and there are non-smokers who are unhealthy. It's true. You could be a smoker who is in much better shape than a non-smoker if that non-smoker is, for example, really fat. But you have to hold the other variables constant in order to understand whether what you're talking about is a good or a bad thing. All other things being equal, being a normal body weight is better than being either too skinny or too fat. Can we at least say that? Apparently we can't, but let's assume that if you're a reasonable person, you're willing to concede that point. Then the question becomes, so are we allowed to have conversations about the way that we internally struggle with our aim of achieving some kind of beauty standard? And maybe it's not, you know, maybe the whole health thing is a distraction. You hear a lot of fat champions and, you know, fat phobia, anti-fat phobia activists saying stuff like, oh, you always come back to conversations about health and how obesity is bad for your health. But that's not what it really is. You're just trying to retroactively justify your own prejudices towards what is regarded as being an attractive body image. Let's even grant them that. Let's even grant them that we don't even have to talk about health. Let's just talk narrowly. So let's, let's, let's ignore the question. Let's ignore the fact that being fat is less healthy than not being fat. And let's ignore the fact that even Taylor Swift or anyone who's, who's aspiring to a, a, a leaner body weight is doing so for reasons of health. Let's exclude all health from the equation and all self-judgment about being unhealthy from the equation and look only at the self-judgment that comes from not being pretty. And even still, in a free society, in a wide-ranging, capacious, rambunctious culture where people can produce whatever art they want to and bear their souls for us, what, what we love about us, artists who get their hands dirty is that they really do delve in those vulnerable, nasty little places of their own soul that maybe they wouldn't want to talk about in public if they were giving a decree to social activists at some fat-shaming conference. Art is not about proclamations, about tribal identity, 
about towing particular ideological lines. Art is about digging inside your soul and trying to expose what's there. And if what's there inside the soul of one of the most revered and looked up to and idolized women in the world, a young woman with an enormous amount on her shoulders and on her plate, who is trying to articulate what it's like to be perceived as a sex icon by so many people and what it's like to be perceived as having a body that so many other girls want to have, if what that's like is that you're constantly pathologizing yourself in a climate in which there are unreasonable expectations placed on what you should look like, and that one of the ways in which you're acting out on that is through an eating disorder, then fuck yeah, it's relevant for you to talk about your fear of being fat. Fuck anyone who thinks that that's that's you being fat phobic. Why did she have to change the damn video? I mean, it's a small thing, you know, on such on such amendments to Taylor Swift's music videos, civilization will not rise or fall. But cumulatively, it does produce a chilling effect on other artists if they see that the, one of the most important artists in the world is constantly paring back and scaling back and self-censoring on the basis of the fact that a loud minority of people get angry at her online for being mean to them when she's only being mean to the pathological bit of her soul that she was bearing. Well, now she's not going to bear that bit of her soul anymore and many other bits as well. And many, many other artists, if this keeps happening over and over again, these little minor walkbacks, changing a word here, changing a scene there, because they're perceived to denigrate some minority, if that becomes the cultural climate, then that is frankly a little bit Stalinist. It is frankly, it just shaves the edge off creative freedom, intellectual freedom. I don't know what this achieves, except basically for giving people who shriek the loudest a win. It's sort of the the terrorist's veto in a way, in a sense that the more terrorizing you are, the more of a hubbub you create, the more you punish transgressors, the louder your voice is able to be amplified, then the more of an impact you have. It doesn't really matter whether or whether your ideas are logical or coherent. It just matters that you're able to shout them loud enough and and send slurs publicly enough that the target of the slur goes, oh shit, I might actually, maybe that is wrong. Maybe I shouldn't have revealed that about myself because I'm revealing something too ugly. But where do we end up in art if we're not revealing ugly truths about ourselves? Because somebody else who wants that not to be something that you worry about wants to create the illusion of a world in which it's not something that's frowned on and not something that's bad. I don't know. Anyway, do I really care about this? No. Not as a, an individual thing. But it gets my goat, young listener, that there are so many... I mean, one of the people I interviewed this week about this is a Gen Z cultural critic who thought it, who thought it was just wonderful, who, th- who thinks uh, you know Taylor Swift is a model for all artists in the way that she listens and she cares. And when she realizes that she's done the wrong thing, she will accept and she'll realize that it's time for her to think about herself and really to take a good look in the mirror and think about the impact that she's having on 
disadvantaged, disenfranchised communities of fatties, you know? That's not what the Gen Z has said. I just added that last bit about fatties, which is not kind. And I'd find, I've, I've been a fatty throughout my life. I'm not right now. I've experienced that. That might not be exactly the same as, you know, a woman who's wildly overweight in a climate in which females are expected to conform to a more perfect physical stereotype than men are. You know, you can have a schlubby sort of dad bod and girls might think you're cute. But it is true that the expectations on women are much higher. You can't just be kind of cute. I mean, this is a point that Dolly Alderton makes in her fantastic memoir, Everything I Know About Love, uh, which I loved. I read it on holiday uh, a couple of months ago. And she makes the point that, you know, a guy can get by a lot on just being sort of charming and cracking the odd dad joke. Whereas the, you know, women really, really feel like they have to conform to beauty standards. So I'm not denying any of that. I'm just saying that that's precisely what Taylor Swift was wrestling with in the way in which she creatively chose to wrestle with it. And to then say, no, you didn't do it right because you used the word fat. And you told us that you actually don't like being fat and therefore that means that there's something wrong with being fat and therefore it means that I as a fat person feel shame. Well, come on. Taylor Swift is reflecting the culture that she's in. We live in a culture and frankly, also a physical and biological universe in which obesity is less preferable than being a normal weight. So deal with that before you cancel Taysui. My good old Taysui. No one else calls her Taysui. She knows that. She knows that it's only me in the many, many letters that I send her, uh, which are all scrawled on parchment uh, featuring grotesque images of... Taylor Swift weighing 500 pounds. Anyway, the other story I want to talk about is the is Iran, and only in order to say that I don't really want to talk about it because I don't think that the West should be getting too involved, except to say it's enormously heartening what's happening in Iran. I mean, it's obviously not heartening what happened just within the past few days, which is that Iranian security forces have opened fire at the grave of Masa Amini 40 days after she died in custody, police clashing with mourners, Iranian media says 10,000 mourners gathered at the cemetery where she's buried. Internet access was cut off in Iran after clashes between protesters and security forces. This is the woman who died in custody last month after being arrested for inappropriate attire for improperly wearing her headscarf. And this has led to a massive upswell of opposition to the Iranian regime, largely from women. I applaud them. I, I don't tweet about this. I don't go on social about this because I'm just skeptical about the ability of people outside of Iran, especially in Western countries, to do much about it other than to uh, shut down those of us in our midst who might sort of try to apologize for the Iranian regime or apologize for, uh, you know, headscarves. Not, not, that, not that every wearing of a headscarf is an act of oppression, but... Uh, I always roll my eyes a little bit when people in the West who do wear headscarves, including friends of mine, try to portray it as being an act of female empowerment. This is something that I choose to do, to which I always say, that's fantastic. And the reason why you're able to choose to do it is because you are one of the vanishingly small number of Muslim women around the world who have the good fortune to not live in a Muslim-majority country. 
and therefore you have the rights to be able to choose to wear it or not wear it. The vast, vast, vast majority of Muslim women in the world live in theocratic states where they don't have the choice. So let's just recognize that for you, it might be a symbol of freedom. For many, many women, it is not. Iran is decrying the West for paving the way for Islamophobia. In June, Iran's ambassador to the United Nations gave a speech saying that critics of Iran are just Islamophobes. He says this is an environment conducive to violence and violent extremism, (laughs) says the representative of one of the most violent and extremist regimes in the world. Uh, Of course, he singled out Israel because, you know, everyone's favorite little whipping boy. Uh, He said... uh, we, we reject outrageous allegations made by the representative of the Zionist regime against my country. These are made to deflect attention from Israeli crimes and atrocities in our region. The Zionist regime is well known for its racist policies and spread of hate speech and propaganda. Um, so if you hear anyone saying, oh, look, it's, uh, it's Islamophobic or it's prejudiced or it's, uh, it's a misunderstanding of the burqa or the hijab, to uh, throw our support behind the Iranian female protesters too much. Or, you know, let's not allow our opposition to the Iranian regime to bleed into Islamophobia. Just shut that right down. I mean, just shut it down. Unless there is someone who's saying that Muslims are this or Muslims are that, then it's not Islamophobia. It's not Islamophobia to, uh, to criticize the tenets of Islam or the behavior of that regime. And lastly, Yi. Should we talk about Yi? Kanye West, now known as Yi. Uh, not a billionaire anymore, apparently. He uh, was dropped not only by CAA, one of the biggest talent agencies in the world and most prestigious, uh, so now he doesn't have representation, although I think he's going to do okay by himself. Bill Murray doesn't have an agent. I think Kanye can work without an agent. And if he can't work without an agent, then it's for reasons that the agent wouldn't have been able to do anything about. Uh, his Adidas deal, or Adidas, as Americans say, was worth about $1.4 billion. So now uh, Yee's only worth about $400 million without the Adidas deal. They dropped him. Balenciaga's dropped him. Vogue's dropped him. Everyone's basically uh, dropped him. And now the latest news is he's been escorted out of the, uh, the global headquarters of Sketches. Well, the Los Angeles headquarters of Sketches, the comfortable uh, footwear company, when he showed up unannounced and uh, uninvited on Wednesday, uh, presumably trying to get a deal, uh, saying, hey, Adidas doesn't want me, but how about uh, how about the comfortable and affordable footwear of Sketcher? I'm, I'm willing to spout my anti-Semitic ideas. Have you heard about my, my thoughts uh, about uh, Kim Kardashian and her new beau? Because I can, I can spray those wherever you want, if you want me to, on behalf of Sketches, And they politely declined. So where does all this come from? Uh, earlier this month, he uh, presented T-shirts at a Paris fashion show with the slogan, White Lives Matter, on it. Now, uh, The Guardian says this is a phrase associated with white supremacists. White supremacists, they say. It is associated with white supremacists. It's also associated with a lot of people who just have problems with Black Lives Matter because they don't like identity politics and they want all lives to matter. Or maybe people who have family members who are in the police force 
Uh, so that's one thing that irks me when publications just take something and then they say, oh, you know what? Yeah, Jordan Peterson's very popular with Nazis. Yeah, he's also popular with a lot of non-Nazis. You could mention that as well. Anywho, this is not to justify what Kanye West has been saying. What we're clearly seeing is the descent of someone who's suffering from some kind of mental health problems. Uh, I don't think there's anything illegitimate about him being dropped, just in case you're not across all of this. So there was the White Lives Matter t-shirt thing. Then he was on a podcast on the 15th of October called The Drink Champs podcast, which I hadn't heard of, on which he blamed Jewish media and Jewish Zionists for various wrongdoings. He said Jewish people have owned the black voice and that the Jewish community, especially in the music industry, they'll take us and milk us till we die, he said. He said that George Floyd uh, didn't really, wasn't really killed by the cops. He died from fentanyl, the drug and that uh, a police officer's knee wasn't even on his neck like that, he said. And then the mother of George Floyd's daughter uh, is suing Yee for $250 million. That episode's been taken down, unsurprisingly. Uh, On the same day, Kanye also said that he doesn't believe in the term anti-Semitism. Then that night, he wrote the tweet that said, He was going to go DEFCON 3 on Jewish people. DEFCON 3 is like, you know, one of those DEFCON levels that the US military has. It's not even the highest. Why wouldn't you say DEFCON 1? Come on, DEFCON 1 is maximum readiness with an imminent nuclear war. DEFCON 2 is six hours or less to deploy and engage near nuclear war. DEFCON 3 is merely force readiness increased above normal levels. Come on, Kanye. If you're going to take me and my fellow Jews on... Uh, you got to go better than DEFCON 3. Uh, you know, Hitler pretty much went all the way to DEFCON 1. He was serious about things. Bring it. Nonetheless, he says DEFCON 3. And uh, then he says, uh, and then he, he says he, he, stu- he stood by those comments. He was, because he was on Piers Morgan's uh, show on the 19th of October. This is four days after he had said all this. And Piers Morgan said, did he know that the comments were racist? And uh, Kanye said, yeah, that's why I said it. I fought fire with fire. I'm not here to get hosed down. And then he said, I will say I'm sorry for the people that I hurt with the DEFCON, the confusion that I caused. I feel like I caused hurt and confusion, and I'm sorry for the families that had nothing to do with the trauma that I'd been through. Hurt people, hurt people, and I was hurt. So that's his justification for saying that. And then there's the whole throwing racial slurs at Trevor Noah thing. So Trevor Noah on The Daily Show, this is Jon Stewart's successor, who's also black. He took some time to discuss the situation about Kim Kardashian and Kanye West and Pete Davidson, who is Kim Kardashian's newer uh, boyfriend. And Trevor Noah was saying that Kanye has been mistreating his ex, Kim Kardashian. And Trevor Noah said what Kardashian is going through is terrifying to watch and it shines a spotlight on what so many women go through when they choose to leave. And Trevor Noah knows a thing or two about this. He witnessed abuse when he was a kid. He said that people had told his mother that she was overreacting and then his stepfather shot her in the head. She survived. Nonetheless, Trevor Noah is saying, as a society, we have to ask ourselves questions. Do we want to stand by and watch a car crash when we thought we saw it coming? 
And he ended the segment saying, all I'm saying about this story is if Kim can't escape this, Kim Kardashian, if she can't escape this, then what chance do normal women have? So (laughs) Yi decides that it would be a good idea to go on uh, Twitter and respond to Trevor Noah for uh, the insults. And uh, actually, it was on Instagram, not Twitter. And he he gets on Instagram and he posts a picture of Trevor Noah and he writes the caption and I'm about to say a racially a racial slur. He writes, All together now, Coon Baya, my Lord Coon Baya, Coon Baya, my Lord Coon Baya, ooh, Lord Coon Baya. That's what Kanye wrote about Trevor Noah. And then Trevor Noah replied to Kanye in the comments before the Instagram post was taken down. Very politely, saying that this behavior breaks his heart. He said, there are a few artists who've had more of an impact on me than you, Yi. You took samples and turned them into symphonies. You took your pain and through the wire, turned it into performance perfection. I thought differently about how I spend my money because of you. I learned to protect my childlike creativity from grown thoughts because of you. Shit, I still smile every time I put on my seatbelt because of you. You're an indelible part of my life, Yi, which is why it breaks my heart to see you like this. Trevor Noah wrote, I don't care if you support Trump and I don't care if you roast Pete. I do, however, care when I see you on a path that's dangerously close to peril and pain. You have every right to fight for your family, but you have to know the difference between that and fighting your family. If you're just joking about it all, Trevor Noah wrote, and I'm an idiot for caring, then so be it, but I'd rather be the idiot who spoke up. And then he wrote, Oh, and as for Kuhn, clearly some people graduate, but we're still stupid. Don't ever forget the biggest trick racists ever played on black people was teaching us to strip each other of our blackness whenever we disagree, tricking us into dividing ourselves up into splinters so that we would never unite into a powerful rod. So Kanye was banned from Instagram, banned from Twitter, well, suspended. I don't know what that means. And... You know, some people on the right are saying that this is a free speech issue, that he's being cancelled, that it's cancel culture. I don't know. Not really. Is it? Over the 405 freeway in Los Angeles, neo-Nazis hung a banner that said Kanye is right, and they raised their arms in a Nazi salute and said, like, honk if you agree. Kanye's right about the Jews and said, it's not pretty stuff. I am normally... As you may know, if you're a regular listener, extremely liberal in my ideas about what people should be able to say on social media. And I don't think it's right to say that social media companies are just private companies and they should be able to make any decisions they want to about who they kick off or who they allow to speak because they have become de facto town squares. It's very difficult to be part of the culture if you're not on social media. I mean, you can choose to step out of that. And I think that's a wise thing to to do, to not spend too much time on social. But if you want to be part of it, if you want to be part of that conversation, then it is a legitimate imposition on your freedom of action to not be able to. But there comes a point at which if you're a total train wreck spouting gibberish that is not just a difference of opinion, but genuine hate speech. I mean, you know, the legal definition of hate speech in many countries, vilifying groups of people, saying that you need to, you're going to arm up and essentially militarize yourself against a group of people who you say are conspiring to bring down 
black people, yeah, no, no, you don't get to broadcast that. I mean, why would any private company want you to broadcast that? You have a legal right to say it in the United States. You're allowed to say whatever you want, but you can't be going around broadcasting it. So that's my thoughts about the tragedy of uh, of Yi. You know, two things can be true at once. It can be true that you can't really hold him sort of responsible morally for what he's saying because he's clearly in some kind of a mental and psychic self-implosion. And also at the same time, that regardless of whether that's true, you can't be going around broadcasting that. So those are my thoughts. Uh, I hope this is uh, useful. Uh, I hope this is thought, uh, thought-provoking. I hope it's just nice to have my voice in your ears. It's nice to be talking to you. It's nice to have you here. Uh, so stay tuned for uh, next time when uh, we'll bring you another regular installment of a fascinating interview on Uncomfortable Conversations. Uncomfortable Conversations is produced by Stefan Postuma. Follow me, Josh Sepps, on Twitter and Instagram for all the latest. May your day be fruitful, your mind humble, your enemies generous, and your conversations perfectly, sparklingly, delectably uncomfortable.